You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter for Mr. Cleveland or for Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor. Chris, we have a lot to talk about today. You were out in Vegas. You were yes. doing the Summer League. First of all, how was your time out there? Yeah, time out there was good, man. It was a combination of work, um, obviously, because the Cavs had a couple of games that I watched, and then... Obviously, they had a couple of practices out there with the way that their schedule set up. It was kind of interesting from that standpoint. Had a great conversation with uh, Dylan Windler as well while I was out there. So I'm hoping to get that big story done at some point this week. I think people will really, really enjoy it. We went deep. We talked about um, everything, especially the the mental side of everything that he's had to deal with throughout the course of his NBA career to this point. Um and whether or not this is a make-or-break season for him coming up. So um, I thought he was really open and honest, and it was a really compelling conversation. So hopefully I can make it as compelling for people to read at some point this week once I actually piece it all together. And then I mixed in a little bit of fun. I put a couple of bets down in one of the Las Vegas casinos that I was at, and um, I went to go see a magic show. Shin Lim was out there in Las Vegas, and I watched him on America's Got Talent. And I wanted to see him in person. Kelsey Russo from The Athletic and I actually went to go see him at the Mirage. And it was an awesome show. So great, great time in Vegas. It wasn't the way that it usually is at Summer League Hayden, where you can actually interact with GMs, agents. In this case, you know, I was in a tier. Um, Kobe Altman was in a different tier. J.B. Bickerstaff was in a different tier. So the kind of access that we had grown accustomed to in Vegas at Summer League wasn't exactly the same. Um, we were kind of ushered off the event floor after we did the in-person post-game availabilities, but it was still great to see the guys and and be in the same city where they were and talk to them over the phone and uh, shout at them from afar and things along those lines. Starting to get back to normal. Yeah, for sure. Shouting, shouting at them from afar sounds uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with Dylan, that was a phone conversation then? Yeah, yeah. Him and I talked over the phone right before I left, actually, from Vegas, right before I went to the airport after okay. one of the workouts that he did. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that piece because you're right. I think, obviously, he's a, you know, the Cavaliers have been in need of wings, and he's a wing that, yeah. can, that was supposed to be the kind of shooter, and he just has not been there. So. Right. Uh, 
you know, I can't, that'll be exciting to read. Um, I guess the first thing we got to talk about, I mean, right off the rip is, is Evan Mobley, right? I mean, you know, gets yeah. drafted Cavaliers and that's, you got your first look at him in Vegas. Um, what did you see? I mean, obviously it's so early on, it's so early on, but just what were your first impressions of, of him on the court with the Cavs? Yeah, man, I thought he was as advertised. I think that's the best way that I can phrase it. I think that's the way that I've written it to this point, Hayden. Um, you know, we had Chad Ford on before the draft, right? And I had conversations with scouts and some of his former coaches. And a lot of the things that they said about him um, in terms of the pros were very apparent during his three games in Vegas. And some of the weaknesses, some of the concerns that people had that kind of um, – made him the third pick as opposed to the number one pick or the number two pick. Those were abundantly clear in Vegas too, right? Um, if if you liked him going into the draft, you saw a fluid athletic seven-footer who moves like a guy who is more six-foot-six, six-foot-eight, something along those lines. Somebody who can be a big-time defensive presence for you, somebody who can potentially be an offensive hub for you, um, somebody who is a switchable defender, somebody who can catch lobs at the rim, all of those things you saw in Vegas. Um, but the questions about him were clear too, right? He's not strong enough at this point. He's got to add strength. He's got to add muscle. I think that's going to come once he gets into an NBA strength and conditioning program. Um, he doesn't have a go-to post-up move at this stage of his career. You saw that. His handle is a little bit loose. He's a seven-footer after all. You saw that at times. Um, and he doesn't have NBA three-point range consistently at this stage of his development. And you saw that. He had a couple of air balls on those jumpers that he took. I think one of the games he went one for three from three. Another one he went either 0 for two or 0 for three. So he was pretty much, to me... As advertised, you can see the exciting flashes, though. And I think to me, at this stage of his development, only his first taste of summer league, I think it's more important, Hayden, to grab on to the flashes that you saw, the flashes of potential, than it is to start judging him like he's some finished product that was playing with really, really talented players at Summer League because he wasn't playing with talented players at Summer League. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I think with just the fact that he was drafted so shortly ago, I mean, you can't, right, at this point, there's no judgment to be made. I mean, again, especially playing with guys that, you know, not so much are going to be on the team, um, playing against guys that aren't really going to be, you know, necessarily NBA. So I totally, totally understand that you've got to take the good with the good and, you know, and leave the bad behind. So, um and it's clear that he's still just scratching the surface of, of how good he can be. And he's obviously going to get more comfortable with the more experience that he gets. I thought he was more comfortable in the second game than he was in the first game. I thought he was more comfortable after a couple of practices and conversations with assistant coach J.J. Outlaw, who is the head coach of the Summer Cavs. Um, after their first game, J.J. went to, to Evan and said, hey, like, what's the best way to use you? What's Where are you most comfortable at with the ball in your hands offensively on the floor? And Evan said at the elbow, specifically the left elbow. And you saw him look a lot more comfortable offensively in the second game when they started using him at the elbows, Hayden, instead of using him in the post where smaller guys can win the leverage game against him. Bigger guys could bully him a little bit. Because that's just not who he is at this stage of his career. He's somebody who 
is much more comfortable, and he showed this in Vegas. He's much more comfortable um, from the elbow out, uh, put him on the perimeter, have him take guys off the dribble, put him at the elbow, have him turn and face, initiate from there, create shots from there. But you just, at the end of the day, the bottom line with Evan Mobley is this. You simply do not find guys with that type of length, size, agility, athleticism, who can handle it like a guard, shoot threes every now and then, look comfortable enough playing pick and roll offensively, and pass the way that he can. He had six or seven assists, I can't remember which, in the second summer league game against Orlando. Mm -hmm. He became the offensive playmaker in the second half of that game against Orlando. They used him as an offensive hub, and that's similar to the way that the Cavs are going to use him during his rookie season. They understand the limitations, they understand the weaknesses, and they're going to try and put him in a position that highlights his strengths. And right now, one of his strengths is passing for a big guy. I think we as you know, observers of the game, and I guess generally NFL or NBA, NBA fans, um, kind of think about when you see a rookie – you see, and you want to see flashes. You you want to see like scoring, right? Like that's kind of right. what you, that's quite yes. one of what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, a successful rookie season for Evan Mobley doesn't necessarily mean that he's got to score a bunch. If again, if he is that offensive hub, now that's kind of the thing we've talked about with Colin. Colin has just always been a scorer. Really, has not been an offensive hub in terms of making the ball move, getting the ball to the bat. You know what I mean? And I think if Evan Mobley can be an offensive hub and can move the ball and can pass what he does and can be athletic and can, you know, dribble the ball and help guys like Colin to continue to score, then that's a whole nother ballgame. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. I think he's a connector offensively and defensively. And he's not Jalen Green. And I wrote this for Cleveland.com. He's not Jalen Green where he's a natural, gifted, elite scorer where he's going to go out and he's going to get 20 to 25 points a night, something like that, and he's going to wow you, and he's going to be all over the highlight reel, and he's going to be worth the price of admission because of the ticket sales. Remember we had Chad Ford on before the draft, and he was talking about the difference between Cade and and Jalen Green and Evan Mobley, and, and he brought up the, the difference between Jalen Green specifically and Jalen Suggs. Mm-hmm. He said Suggs is the kind of guy who's going to do a little bit of everything. He's going to yeah. score a little bit. He's going to rebound a little bit, pick up some steals, some blocks, um, and some assists. And at the end of the night, his stat line is going to be something like 12 points, uh, six assists, like five rebounds, a couple steals, and maybe a block. Uh, To me, that's how I feel about Evan Mobley. Mm -hmm. There's not just one stat that's going to pop out at you the way that Jalen Green's scoring is going to pop out at you. Um, It's going to be a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think his rookie season, Hayden, to me, is going to be a crash course and a lesson for a lot of fans in the difference between production and impact. Yeah. And I think his impact is going to be higher than somebody like Jalen Green mm-hmm. or maybe even uh, like Jonathan Kaminga. 
because he's just going to help the Cavs in so many different ways, offensively and defensively, even though he's probably not going to put up gaudy stats. He's the kind of guy who it's about like hidden box score type things, the deeper analytical things. Or also, Chris, I mean, again, if he helps, listen, I've been a little critical of Colin Sexton, just the way that he plays. I think that if he helps guys like Colin, guys like Darius, guys like, you know, yeah. uh, Jared Allen to be better too, then that's that's, that's, the, that's a huge, huge, hugely valuable thing for the Cavs. Right. And I think on top of that, Hayden, as we saw in Vegas, you know, Evan Mobley's going to need some help too. Yeah. Right. Like playing alongside Isaac Okoro as the point guard wasn't the best for somebody like Evan Mobley. Right. You know, playing alongside Broderick Thomas when he was playing point guard minutes wasn't the best for Mobley. Summer League in general is a guard's paradise. It's set up for those guys to thrive. Just look at some of the guys that really stood out at Summer League. Most of them, with the exception of Sangoon of the Houston Rockets, most of them were like playmaking guards who could just go out, create a bucket, or create an opportunity for others. Oh, and played pretty well, too. Yes, he did, and you would expect him to because he's, what, 24 years old at this yeah. point? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he came into the league as an older rookie to begin with, and, you know, he had the experience at the NBA level, and he's bigger, and he's faster, and he's stronger, and he's more physically mature than a lot of the guys that he was playing against. So you would expect that, just like yeah. Isaac Okoro. He was able to bully guys. He was able to show off the fact that he played – so many minutes at the NBA level. And that gave him a step up in over a lot of the guys that he played against in Vegas. Um, but Evan's going to need help. He's going to need Darius Garland to help him out in creating offense. Maybe it's lobs, right? Maybe it's putback opportunities. Maybe it's pocket passes when he's rolling to the basket. He's going to need help from Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio, those two guys as well. Um, because at this stage... He's not as polished. I don't think he's going to be as impactful offensively as he's going to be defensively. Mm-hmm. It was clear to me in Vegas that he's further along and, and ready to help more at the defensive end than he is at the offensive end. Right. How, I mean, something that's, that has been talked about a lot is just, you know, his frame. I mean, obviously he's yeah. very, very big, very long. <laughs> I mean, how long do you think it'll take him to put on that 25, you know, pounds that he probably needs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take a full NBA season with a full NBA strength and development program. And the other thing is diet as well. Um, You know, the Cavs are going to look at all those different things when it comes to Mobley and all their younger guys as well. They're going to put them into a routine when it comes to strength and development, when it comes to nutrition um, it's going to be a mix of weights and conditioning as well. Yeah. It might be some boxing, right? It might be some versa climber. Then it also might be get on the bench press and get stronger. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's going to be all those different things. But, but it's going to take some time. There's no doubt about it. Um, the good thing about him is while he's adding that strength and he's getting uh, more physical for what could be a transition in the future to more five than four in the short term, he can fill minutes at the four and he can handle some of the responsibilities offensively and defensively that fours in the NBA um, are going to handle. Here's the thing. Like some bigs are big, right? 
and then they try to play on the perimeter because that's the way the NBA is going, and they think that can increase their value, their role, and maybe even their playing time. We've seen that with some guys. Mobley, at his core, is a perimeter guy who happens to be big. He's a perimeter guy who happens to be seven feet tall. Right. So he doesn't have to bang underneath with Joel Embiid and uh, Andre Drummond and Jonas Valanciunas and Steven Adams. While he's developing physically, he's able to do the things that you would want from a power forward in this era. And I think that's going to really help his transition. Right. I think with Mobley, too, I'm just think, sitting here thinking, you know, you mentioned like the connector thing. I think that when I look, when I, the more and more I think about it, the the better I feel about, you know, I think my expectation and all of our expectations, well, not all of our, I mean, again, you have, everybody has a different expectation, but I think, I think my expectation was initially, you know, because I think he's the guy who's got to change this whole thing around, that maybe I had more expectation for him to be, you know, this big score, this guy who's just going to be a transit, you know, trans, yeah. player. And now I think, okay, maybe it's more so that he is going to be really good, but he's also just going to make a lot of the guys around him better. And they'll, and the guys around him are going to make him better at the same time. Like, I think he can just come in and everybody's game can be elevated as a whole as you know, by bringing him in. And I think there's another thing to this as well. So defensively, the Cavs were 25th overall in defensive rating last year. Yes. But they were competent and good. Maybe good's too much of a stretch. I'll just stick with competent. They were competent when Nance was healthy, when Drummond was playing at uh, a higher level than, than January, February. Um, so in a potential starting lineup, replacing Kevin Love with Evan Mobley, I think is going to do wonders for what the Cavs can become defensively. Because I- I've talked with a bunch of different players about this, Hayden. If if you were projecting a starting five of Darius Garland, um, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Kevin Love, and Jared Allen, like, you have three defensive liabilities. Yeah. Covering up for two, you can get by. Right. You can do that. But mm-hmm. when you have to cover up for three, more than half of your starting five, then it becomes problematic. Then guys are over-rotating. Then some of your defense is starting to spring leaks. And the fact that they're replacing Kevin with Evan, <laughs> that rhymed. There you go. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it gives them more of a fighting chance with that backcourt on the defensive end than, than it would if they were playing Kevin Love 20 to 25 minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, the defensive thing is is definitely, I mean, you look at, you know, I, li- I love the Tower City nickname. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tower City, you know, you look at those guys, that's, not only is that two guys to help cover up the other two guys, I think that's two hugely important and great defensive pieces with another really, really good important defensive piece in in Isaac. In Isaac. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I think you've trans. I think you've transformed what was an awful, awful defense because of Colin and, and Darius, and, and you know, not necessarily because they don't try and work hard. I mean, it's just it's only so much you can do when you're. Yeah, there are size of- limitations. There are strength right. limitations there. Sure. 
Exactly. But when then you when you add Isaac, who is, you know, probably a defense first guy and you add Jared Allen, who's a defense first guy. And then you add Evan, who can definitely play a, a really, really, you know, well defensively. That mm-hmm. turns your, you know, your defense into a strength for sure. It can. Yes, it, it can. can. I don't know that it does, because, again, there are still limitations that come with that tiny backcourt. And there are times where those guys are going to have to be split up throughout the course of a game. And that means Rubio is going to have to play with. Colin Sexton or Rubio is going to have to play with Darius Garland because Mm -hmm. the truth is the more minutes Darius and Colin play together, the more chance of them being exposed on the defensive end of the floor. But again, if you're going to have a fighting chance with that backcourt, if you're committed in the short term to that backcourt and you're going to have a fighting chance, you have to put the right defensive minded pieces around those guys. Nance is a plus defender. Uh, Mobley is a plus defender. Okoro is a plus defender. Jared Allen is a plus defender. Rubio is a plus defender. Like, all of a sudden, you have more plus defenders to mix and match in there with that group than what you had last year, especially after um, Andre Drummond decided to check out. I, I, I was and just Nance thinking- got hurt. Nance getting hurt was a killer for their defense. I was just about to ask you, because, like, you know, I haven't, I, I admittedly haven't studied a ton of Ricky Rubio. I mean, he is a, so, you, I mean, obviously, you, you, I think of him, I think, okay, a guy who can help your offense, command your offense, be the point guard, be the general on the floor, be a veteran leader, be a guy who can elevate the locker room, all that good stuff. But defensively, I hadn't really heard much. So, he is a plus defender. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he'll get up in you. He'll get steals. He'll get deflections. And he's six foot four, too. So, yeah. he's got more size than... Um, the other two guys that that are in the backcourt for the Cavs right now. Yeah. Isn't it funny that he just doesn't seem (laughs) 6'4"? I know he doesn't. You're right about that. He seems like like a little guy. But, again, that's just – that's kind of the reality of the NBA. A lot of those 6'4 guys seem little in many – And if I remember right, Hayden, I could be off on this. I'll have to look this up. I think there was one year where he led the NBA in steals. Now, I know that's not the best gauge of defense, of course. Sure. But, but it's not a bad one. Yeah, I mean, like, early in his career, for three straight years, he was over two steals a game. For his career, he's at about two steals a game. Right. So that's somebody who can be disruptive when he's engaged at that end of the floor, for sure. Absolutely. Um, any other Las Vegas um, observations from you? I mean... You know, I thought Lamar Stevens looked like a rotation player in the NBA. That's about all you want for somebody who is going into his second year. It's not somebody who's going to wow you with stats and things like that. But I thought, you know, because he already had the NBA experience, because he's more physically advanced than some of the guys that he was playing against, he -hmm. certainly showed that at times. So... I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's a three, if he's a four. I don't know if his shot is good enough to play the three. But, you know, I think in certain lineups where you want to go more defense heavy, I think he can get by with Lamar Stevens. I think. Mm -hmm. So that was nice to see. Broderick Thomas was up and down. They were playing him out of position completely. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ Outlaw admitted that I actually talked to Broderick a little bit in Vegas about what his best role is and, and how he can be most effective as a player. Um, and, and the way that he said it is I'm a big combo guard 
who can play make, spot up, and knock down shots. That's probably where I'm going to have the most success in this organization. I'm not somebody who's going to run a team. Um, so when you ask him to run a team, I think he has a tendency to try and do too much. Yeah. And he's not capable of doing that. So I think in the right role, maybe you bring him back on a two-way and see if there are certain times where you need to run him out there on the court. Uh, but nothing more than that. He's he's a bottom of the roster type. That's yep. basically what he showed himself to be at the end of last season. That's what he showed himself to be in Las Vegas during the time that I was there. Um, but I think he's worth a try as a developmental piece. Fiondu Gamigeli's interesting. I think he's one of the guys on a non-guaranteed contract, Hayden, that is in danger if if they find a wing to sign or if they find a third guard to sign, or if they feel like they want to bring a backup center that's um, more of a center than Fee is, then mm-hmm. I think he would be in danger of either being traded or just being released. But the fact that he has a non-guaranteed contract, um, it gives the Cavs a little bit of flexibility and optionality there. You know, nothing else really stood out from Summer League. I, I thought it was good, Hayden, mm-hmm. that they were... Um, that they were trying to explore different areas with Isaac Okoro. Yeah. Allow him to be the initiator, allow him to be the playmaker. It's clear that that was an off-season goal for the Cavs, either internally or externally, is to add more capable ball handlers and playmakers to this group. Because last year, the brunt of that fell on Darius and Colin. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times that the Cavs were planning to run their offense at the elbow through Larry Nance Jr., Kevin Love, Andre Drummond. By the second half of the season, all those guys were gone, basically. Kevin mm-hmm. finally came back in April. Um, so that put a lot on Colin and Darius, probably too much on those guys. They didn't have Delhi, They didn't have a backup point guard. So I think lifting some of that creation burden either internally or externally, um, was clearly a goal of the Cavs this offseason. And part of that is allowing Isaac Okoro to explore that part of his game. And you gave him the opportunity in Summer League. I thought he was good. Um, He obviously did not look like a natural point guard because he's not a natural point guard. So it's still something that he's growing into. But the more comfort he has doing that, and the more effective he can be as an offensive player, the more valuable he's going to be, the more versatile he's going to be. And look, during his rookie season, the Cavs decided we're not going to put a lot on him offensively. He's got so much responsibility on the defensive end. We just want him to play a specific role offensively, stand in the corner, cut every now and then, knock down threes if you're open, Attack closeouts if they close out hard on your jumper. Um, Because they knew that they were asking him to do so much defensively that given the circumstances of of his rookie season and not having summer league and not having the natural offseason and the the condensed NBA schedule, it was just going to be too much to ask of a 19-year-old kid. So now in year two, with more experience, with more comfort, Having him be more of an initiator creator, I think that can help the Cavs offense 
go to a different level. And I thought he was good enough at that in the setting that he was thrown into. Before we transition, I want to remind everyone that you should definitely be checking out Chris's subtext. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click on the blue banner at the top of your page, enter your t- uh, cell phone number, and you will get texts straight from Chris, straight to your phone. Before you before it goes anywhere else, before you see it on Twitter, before you see it you know out there and about, it's going to come straight to your phone. So again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Um, you would get updates from Chris from, say, Vegas for next for next summer league, and you know, yeah. so you get updates for the rest of the off season. So, um, which is what I want to get into. So again, three ninety nine a month, fourteen day free trial. First of all, um, Chris, what do you know about Sidney Lowe, who the Cavaliers brought in um, to be an assistant coach this year? Uh, and again, and a good example of something you probably would have sent out to your um, to your subtext followers. They had it first before I put it up on Cleveland.com. Was it over the weekend? No, I think it was Friday. It was Friday. Um, look, I mean, the Cavs, J.B. Vickerstaff wanted to add more experience to his staff. Um, a lot of the guys that are on the bench are younger in terms of NBA experience, more up-and-coming guys. Mm-hmm. And um, he looked at Lloyd Pierce. He looked at David Fisdale. He looked at Chad Forcier. He looked at Steve Clifford, Jamal Mosley, some of these other guys. They either went to better situations, stayed where they were, or got a promotion. Um, But I think JB is really happy with the fact that he was able to get Sidney Lowe from the Detroit Pistons. This is his second stint with the Cavs. He was with the Cavs in the late 90s under Mike Fratello. He's been with the Detroit Pistons as an assistant since 2018-19. 61 years old. He's got about 30 years of of NBA slash college experience. He's been a head coach and assistant. And I think the more smart guys that the Gavs can bring to this coaching staff, the better they're going to be. Um, I'm told that J.B. Bickerstaff is still trying to figure out like what what the roles are going to be exactly for all of the different coaches. But given Sydney's background... I would think that he probably ends up working a lot with the younger guards because he was a point guard coming into the NBA. That would make sense. That would make a lot of sense. That's uh, that's definitely something that, you know, <laughs> the, the point guards need to, I mean, they're going to continue to need development. You know, the, the guards, right. Jared Starland, you know, and, and Ricky Rubio will kind of be like an on, I think he'll be like an on court coach in a way too. Yep. So sure. Well, extension of the coaching staff, right. no doubt. You get the experience of, of Sidney Lowe, who's been in the NBA for a long time, plus the guy like Ricky Rubio, those, that can only help the Cavaliers. Um, as we look at free agency, though, Chris, um, it started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what we wanted. What I wanted to bring up. I mean, you know, we've we've discussed the Cavaliers wanting to bring in a wing. We've discussed the Cavaliers still looking at the at a point guard, even though with our, you know with Ricky Rubio in there. Um, what is the market like right now? Why is it so slow for Cleveland? And I know that Cleveland doesn't have, you know, per se the money um, to spend that some of these other, you know, teams did. Uh, yeah. And that's why he was pretty fast and furious on day one. But, you know, what is Cleveland looking at now? Who are they looking at? What are their kind of options at this point? So I think a couple of things here, Hayden. I think oftentimes, um, People look at at a team that doesn't sign um, anybody at this point in time and say, well, what are they doing 
that means it's a lack of activity. And that's not true. They've been active. Yeah. They've tried. They were interested in Alec Burks, and they were interested in Reggie Bullock. Doug McDermott. They were prepared to give Doug McDermott the full mid-level exception. Doug's people said, nah, we've got 13, 14 million from another team. The Cavs didn't think they did. It turned out they were right. Uh, they got it from San Antonio, much more than the mid-level exception. So the truth is some of these targets that they had signed for more than the mid-level exception. Some of these other targets that they had went to better situations. Yeah. Um, and then the guys that are available right now, the Cavs don't value them enough to give them the full mid-level exception or parts of the mid-level exception. They're going to be judicious in terms of how they spend. The truth is there's going to be an extension kicking in for Jared Allen because they got him done as soon as free agency started. He was the priority. They got it done. He's coming back. Um, there are going to be extension talks with Colin Sexton. The general ones have already started between general manager Kobe Altman and Colin's people. Um, but I'm told that they're going to pick up significantly around Labor Day. After Kobe Altman has some downtime, after some of these agents have this downtime that they have coming up. So around Labor Day, those Colin Sexton extension talks are going to get real. They're going to get substantial um, I don't know if something's going to get done, but that that's when they're supposed to really heat up and, and Collins people are going to exchange numbers and they're going to look at the data and say, hey, this is why he's worth this. And then the Cavs are going to say, no, this is why we think he's worth this. That's supposed to happen, I'm told, around Labor Day. But But the truth is, because of the situation that they're in financially, they have to be more judicious. Right. Um, and right now, the options are just, hey, and they're not very good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we always kind of knew that the Cavs weren't in a great position for free agency. Uh, no, because which, all they had was the mid-level exception, which was going to be a competitive market that other contending teams had. And because they're in Cleveland. Yeah. So they, they didn't have the means to overpay in terms of annual salary. Right. And they're not as attractive of a destination as some of these other places, both in terms of how they're viewed um, in terms of the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference and in terms of how the city is viewed itself as a destination spot. Right. As much as I love it, as much as you love it, you know, Kent Bazemore isn't going to see it the same <laughs> way that I do. Hey, you never know. <laughs> you, know you know, Furkan Korkmaz is not going to see it the same way that I do and you do. You never know. Jared yeah. Allen wouldn't have seen it the same way that I do and you do unless the Cavs traded for him in advance and they gave him, you know, four or five months to get to know the organization inside and out and get to know the city inside and out. And that obviously changed his perception. That's true. I mean, sometimes your perception changes just because you're kind of forced somewhere. You know, that's what you're saying. Yeah, right. But in this case, it's not like you could have brought Reggie Bullock here for a quick visit um, before he, he agreed to a deal with the Dallas Mavericks or something like that. He couldn't do the same thing with Doug McDermott before he agreed to a deal um, with the San Antonio Spurs. 
it's all like putting your faith in the organization and your faith in the situation, your faith in a coaching staff that you don't know. And the Cavs aren't going to win a lot of those battles. No, unfortunately not. You know, I think you could argue that the Cavaliers made the biggest free agent signing of all time uh, in LeBron James. So. Yeah. I mean, hello, like... <laughs> Maybe there's somebody who was born in Akron who's going to be a free agent in a couple of years, and then they can get that guy. Steph Curry. There you go. No, he just re-upped. I know. He'll be at the back end of his career. Maybe yeah, Maybe go. he'll be a homecoming. You never know. Who else? <laughs> CJ McCollum. Once he gets oh, free agent. Canton going Zone. Canton Zone. Cavs fans desperately want CJ McCollum. Desperately. But it just it doesn't fit really well. So this uh, is where the Cavs are in terms of free agency from what i've heard um technically they have one open roster spot but as we've already talked about they can create more sure i'm told the priority at least the sense that that agents and teams are getting the priority is wing first and then third guard and then backup center the door is still open for Isaiah Hartenstein, who worked out for teams over the weekend in Las Vegas. Uh, the Cavs did have a representative there. Assistant General Manager Mike Ganzi was there to watch Hartenstein work out. So the door's open there for him to come in and be the backup center again. Um, but in terms of wings, man, you're looking at Sfi Mikhailuk, Josh Hart, who's a restricted free agent. The Cavs would have to give up something in order for them to get him. It's probably unlikely that they do. I don't know that they value him enough to do that, although they've had conversations with New Orleans about that. Um, and then Denzel Valentine is an interesting name that I've heard more. Um, I think if they got him, it would probably be more like a minimum deal or a deal similar to what Damian Dotson got, where the second year is non-guaranteed, a really Cavs-friendly deal for Denzel Valentine. Um, former first-round pick been hurt throughout his career i think he missed something like 500 days early on in his career when he had his ankle completely reconstructed but i've talked to people close to denzel and he's healthy now the ankle hasn't been a problem for a couple of years the the majority of the injuries that he's had since the ankle reconstruction have been more groin hamstring calf not really that ankle that was so problematic early in his career. So those are the kinds of names that you're talking about. I mean, we're talking about borderline cracking the every night rotation. Right. It's obviously not what the Cavs need. They need something more than that. They really do have to replace Torian Prince, who shot 41% from three. He was one of their best three-point shooters. They're not in any position to lose three-point shooting. But they did with that trade for Prince and Rubio, uh, bringing Rubio here, sending Prince to Minnesota. But they they struck out on the primary wings that they wanted to replace Torian, yeah. and now they're just they're just reassessing the way that they're going to construct this roster now because of that. That makes sense. Well, you and it puts more. Look, it puts more on Isaac Okoro to be more offensively for them this year, in year two. And it, it really does open the door, once again, for Dylan Windler, former first-round pick, to step into that shooter role that they desperately need somebody to fill. 
Well, we're we're going to be waiting on pins and needles for your article about Dylan <laughs> to see if he, you know, see where his mind is, see where his body is, see where he can. Maybe this is the year. You know, he's an older guy. Maybe he breaks out and get, he takes advantage of that opportunity because, again, there's not really anyone else in this roster that you're really looking at to fill that role at this point. Um, and um, and remember, as it comes down right now. Josh Hart, restricted yeah. free agent, is closing in on a three-year, $38 million deal to stay with the Pelicans. Saw that. You know, Larry Nance Jr. really didn't want him there anyway. But look at that number. Yeah. It's more than the mid-level exception. Yeah. yeah. So if, if the Cavs were going to get um, New Orleans to agree to a sign-and-trade— and if they were going to convince them to to not match any kind of offer or not give him this kind of deal, then they were going to have to give New Orleans a future draft pick yeah. to incentivize them. And I just I don't think the Cavs valued Josh Hart enough to do that. Well, poor Larry. It's, I know Josh and him are close, but <laughs> they're very close. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll have to uh, keep uh, keep chirping at him from afar, I suppose. Yeah. I did see that coming down, and I was like, "Oh, that's going to get mentioned for sure." So Josh Hart, a little more than a uh, little more than the MLE, and um, a good good Villanova guy that Josh Hart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he would have been fine. He would have yeah. been fine. He would have been in the Cavs rotation, but yeah. again, um, they don't have a lot of flexibility. I remember when Denzel Valentine was playing against Ohio State with Michigan. <laughs> oh, yeah, those those are the days. Yeah, they were. They had, a, they had a pretty good team. They had Adrian Payne. They had Denzel Valentine. Who else was on that team? They had some pretty good teams back in the day. Uh, they had that little point guard. Yes, I don't remember who it is. What's his name? Keith Appling yeah. was that his yeah, name? Maybe. Yep. The guy yeah. who got into a lot of trouble off the court since then. Yeah, unfortunately. Did he get arrested or something like that? Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But I remember watching those games. They beat Ohio State handily a couple times. Um, anyways. Uh, you have anything else for us, Chris? Or should we just keep watching the Summer League? I know Evan Mobley not going to really play anymore. Um, you know, hmm. what's what's next on the schedule? Well, the Summer League finale is tonight at okay. uh, 6 o'clock. You don't have to watch it. Okay. You don't have to watch it. You don't even have to bother with that. Um, what else? Oh, so the only thing that I would say is this. Um I think the last two months of the whole Colin Sexton stuff, yeah. Hayden, I think it's been really informative for the Cavs, mm-hmm. and I think it's been really informative for Colin's camp. Okay. I think there's a recognition for the first time that maybe Colin's value is not as high as Colin's people think it should be. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. Because the trade offers just weren't very strong. And then obviously the Cavs value Colin greatly. He's a hard worker. He's no maintenance. Um, he's a good kid. He's somebody who has done everything that they've asked him to do and more since drafting him with the eighth overall pick in 2018. So they value him and they put a high price tag on him. In in all of these conversations. Kobe Altman basically told teams, hey, look, we're not trying to get rid of him here. Right. He's not a depressed asset. We're not in any hurry. Um, I think it was just generally seeing if they could improve the roster while also exploring his market value. 
And for the first time in maybe five, six months, I think there's a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen because um, money talks and, and maybe Collins people walk away and, and just say, we're going to go into restricted free agency next offseason. But for the first time in a couple of months, I feel like an extension could get done between the two sides that comes in below the max. Right. I think there's a recognition on Collins' part that they're not getting the max. Not from Cleveland and not from another team in the NBA. That's just the sense that I get right now. Um, It is, they are going to ask for $100 million contract plus. And then I don't know what the number after that is going to be. I don't know if after the one, it's going to be a one. It's going to be a two, a three, a four, something along those lines. Um, But I continue to hear that it is possible and there is optimism that it may not take the rookie max in order to get an extension with Colin this offseason. Right. How about that? That's 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 big. That's a big realization. That's a big that's a big nugget. Now, I think it's now I think it's going to start from Colin's camp. I think it's going to start with De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell money. Yeah. But but I think there's going to be some flexibility and some recognition that if if both sides want it to get done, it's got to be lower than that. Maybe yeah. even what I'm told is more in the range of Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics. Okay. And he got 4107, I want to say. His annual average is like 25 26 million a year i think that's what it is okay so i think that's the range that if if an extension does get done with colin i think it's more in that range the 20 to 26 ish than it is the rookie scale max that shea gilgis alexander got from the oklahoma city thunder then you'd have uh then you'd have mobley you'd have Jared Allen, you'd have Der- uh, Colin Sexton. Yeah, and then you'd be working on something with Darius next offseason. Yeah. Well, the future is set. It's just a matter of whether the future is going to be bright enough. <laughs> well, the other thing is, again, Colin's people could say, you know what? No deal, nothing. Let's yeah. hold off. We're going to take this into restricted free agency in 2022. But look at what happened with restricted free agents um, this offseason. Right. You know, Josh Hart, we just said he got 338. Uh, Larry Markinen is still out there. Nobody knows what's going to happen with him. Uh, John Collins got 5125, I want to say. Something like that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jared Allen got um, his five-year $100 million deal. So restricted free agency can be a fickle mistress. It can be a complicated game for a lot of these players to play. And um, I think Collins people want to avoid restricted free agency next offseason. Yeah. If they can, if it makes sense financially for them to do that. Because if they go to restricted free agency, like he's looking at those kinds of contracts that we're talking about here. Well, that's a good way to end the podcast. Sounds good, man. 
Well, all right. Well, we uh, will definitely be on the lookout for Colin. I think that's great news. I think that's great news because, again, the, the Colin Mack situation was not something I think a lot of people were fans of, maybe even, you know, the Cavaliers. So, Cavs, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, so that's good news. Good news for if you're a Cavs fan. We appreciate you joining us on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Thank you for Chris for, or thank you to Chris for uh, giving us his uh, lens into the Summer League. Uh, he is back now from Las Vegas. Um, you know, I don't think you'll be going out there anytime soon, but, uh, but I'm glad you had a good time out there, uh, regardless. Um, we appreciate you joining us. Like I said, be sure to look at cleveland.com slash Cavs for all of Chris's great content and be sure to sign up for Chris's subtext again, $3.99 a month, 14 day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page and enter your phone number and you'll be good to go. Two week free trial, 14 days. $3.99 a month after that for all of your Cavaliers news, analysis, insights straight to your phone from Chris Fedor. So thank you so much, everyone. We will talk to you soon on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Not a ton going on, but we will still be able to discuss everything that does going on. So take care. We'll talk soon. Have a great day.